this is Anna and Brian from Amata World Podcast and today we have an extra week so we decided to do tech in film and we have our next guest Julian Butterworth who is the founder of Ethereal and as well as cinematographer, editor and a drone pilot. Hi Julian. Hello. Can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Absolutely. So like you just mentioned, co-founder of Ethereal, which is a commercial video production company. So we do uh, video services for businesses, as well as showreels, which is, you know, acting showreels for upcoming actors, editor and cinematographer. So uh, shoot short films at the moment and do editing for film and also drone pilot, which is, you know, just a fun thing I've done for several years now and still do it. Sometimes I get hired by various businesses or TV stations and just fly a drone around. Yeah. Pretty cool. Like how, how did you come across and like drones to begin with and what made you kind of start using that with your filmmaking process? Well, that actually is an interesting story because my background overall is digital marketing for, for hospitality, which I've done for a while. And what basically happened is for the hotels I work for on Sandbanks, the FJB hotels group, when we were building a website, we really wanted some drone footage to show how unique it is. And this is, I'm talking like, this is like 10 years ago or more. When I mean, you're on the beach taking a picture or a video of the location, it didn't have the same impact. So we, we tried to find footage of that. And we saw a TV show. I don't remember what it was called, but it was on, IT, on ITV. And it had like an introduction where it showed, I think, plane or helicopter footage of the peninsula. And so it's like, okay, why don't we try and contact ITV to get the footage, just 20 seconds of footage of sandbanks, and then use that to promote the hotel, to have that on the website as an introduction. And so I contacted them and it was a really difficult process because they literally have it on reels of film, not digital. So you had to pay them, I think, 50 pounds back then just to look for the reels in their storage house and then, and then get it and copy the, the footage. And if you do pay for the footage, which was expensive, it would um, you would only be allowed to use it for like two, three years. And then you have to pay again for the license to use it. So it's like, okay, this is, this is difficult. So then the next step we were looking at, why don't we look at like drones, which was like a pretty new thing at the time. And they were quite like large sort of, you know, pretty bulky drones still, like you see on a film set today, for instance. And how much would that cost to, to get a team down to actually film it for us? And that was again in the thousands. So at that point, I looked into how much are drones or consumer drones at that point? And can we just get our own drone? So we decided to buy a DJI Phantom 2. So that was the first, the Phantom 2, in my opinion, is probably the drone that made, that was the beginning of the sort of smart sort of consumer drones that we see today. It was the first quite capable drone that the everyday person could buy that wasn't too complicated and not too large. Um, and you attach a GoPro to the bottom of it on a gimbal and it took pretty good footage and I flew that drone for many years in the beginning you just buy the drone fly it pretty much but then pretty quickly a friend of mine who's an airline pilot told me okay you need to do this properly you need to get like a license for it and all those kind of things so then he sort of took me through the process of getting a remote pilot license for drones which took five days in a classroom and you know physical assessment all that kind of stuff a lot more a lot more involved than it is today actually so that's there was the beginning of it and then i just kept doing it and getting newer better drones and taking landscape and estate videos and for businesses when they want to do themselves it became a really popular thing i feel i feel like the, the boom of drones is a bit over now but there was a period where basically everybody wanted drone footage of their business, of their location, of anything. You want a multiple 
awards on different film festivals with this short film, and I quite liked it. What's it called? Desires and Delusions. So, and I think it just like recently there was something about the cocktails as well. What was it that about? We were just this week. We were in Romford for the Romford Film Festival. And they have like a thing they've been running for seven years now. And every year they pick five or six short films out of the films that they've sort of selected. And they make a cocktail inspired by that particular short film. So that was quite nice. Never, we have never come across that before. So that, that was really cool. Also pretty strong cocktails, like two shots of gin in it and one shot of gin <laughs> liquor. It was good. It Back looks good as well. Yeah. This was our first short film. I was just a cinematographer and editor on it. Obviously, it was a very sort of low budget. So, you know, probably did more roles than you would otherwise do. But, you know, like I said, it's been it's been quite successful, which I thought initially was surprising because it was my first short film that I've shot. And, I, you know, I thought doing that is, is quite difficult. As a first project, it surely wouldn't be so successful, but it's proved to be fairly popular. So I guess the idea is just very unique. That's what it comes down to, to the great writing of it and the, the concept plus the fact that it's a regency era thing which i think is unusual for a first short film to do that most people would just pick modern day it's much easier and like are you doing any other projects right now and what kind of tech are you using yeah the other one that we have finished shooting and are almost finished with post-production is lies on the line that's the next the second short film project and actually just until 1am yesterday we were recording one of the last soundtracks for it the 60s inspired, so it has a lot of custom-written songs that are performed by, you know, talented artists and it will be used in the in the, in the the film, which I think is quite cool. That's quite unique as well. So there's got a lot of work going into actually having a really cool soundtrack for it. And then when the short film's out, we're going to um, release them, those as separate tracks, you know, it's like a like a soundtrack album. So we, we were doing that. And that's, that's it's quite an interesting idea. It's like Desires and Delusions, written by Nicole Sarah Fry. The director and writer, co-written by Anita Fry and Yasmin Fry, so they, they've all written that, and it's very, very good writing. And same for Lies in the Line. Both have the idea of taking something, taking a concept from the present, and then moving it into the past. And I think that's a unique aspect that certainly makes these films more um, interesting and more approachable. Like the Regency era, for instance, because Dies and Desires and Delusions is about taking the modern dating concept of Tinder and moving that into into the past, right? You swipe left and right, and in in Desires and Delusions they get a box from Pandora's Prospects, which is the dating service, and it's filled with portraits, and each portrait has a description at the back that tells about that person and obviously the picture. And then, you know, she judges the pictures maybe too quickly without really going into the details of it. And it comes with all the tropes that, like, online dating has. Might Someone might describe themselves very accurately, you know. Or they might have, you know, the typical pictures where you have a group of people and who who's the person that you're going to be dating? Is it, you know, when you have, like, four people and it's not obvious. Or they have a picture of their dog instead of themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's all those things. So it's, it's quite fun. And Lies in the Line is about... A slightly less fun topic, I guess. It is about the constant surveillance and lack of privacy that we see today and how you approach that in the, in the 60s. And obviously, the 60s technology is way more antiquated compared to today. So the idea there is basically a GPO van, which I've learned this from this film because I didn't obviously know about this. So G GPO van is a guy who would drive around and he would install telephones in people's houses. And 
the guy who does it from his childhood trauma where he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't like people lying. He bugs the phones as well. So every phone he installs, he bugs it so that he can listen into it and record their conversations on the phone, thereby invading their privacy. And then when they do bad things or lie or, you know, monogamy, which was quite common in the 60s, he then transcribes these these conversations and, uh, you know, does things with it. So it's an interesting concept and uh, it's visually very nice. 60s colors, you know, the, the vibrant colors of it, I think it's very cool. That's, that's a really interesting short film. Definitely another one to look out for. You seem to be kind of really interested in, I guess, that sort of time period and how you can bring in modern concepts into that period. Is that kind of like what you're focusing on? I think I'm obviously open to do any kind of short film, really, but it's it's always nice if it's a more interesting concept. And the way of approaching something like this, where we take a modern idea and then move it into the past, I think it's, it's a very unique concept, certainly more interesting. Um, and that gives more scope for maybe telling interesting stories or unique stories. So I really like that idea. I wonder if, like, because there are a lot of hype right now about AI and the problems of AI and how it will affect the creative industry. I'm just curious, what do you think about this problem? Do you think it will affect what are you doing right now and the projects and how you actually are, I don't know, editing some bits and maybe you can use some generative AI? Um, it is it is very interesting. And we have already used, I've already used AI now for the, most recent short film, Desires and Delusions, um, there is a editing technique called rotoscoping, which means you basically cut out an actor or an object so to separate them from the, from the background, uh, maybe if you want to manipulate it individually in isolation. And this has been something that was done manually in the past for films, and it's a very labor-intensive, long process because they go frame by frame. And you can imagine, like frame by frame for for film for for something, and it has to be done obviously really well because otherwise you notice it. So it has to be done in very high precision. And something that only really like very big films were able to do on mass is because they would have all the manpower to do it. And now this is actually AI assisted. So in DaVinci Resolve, which I used to edit, it's called um, Magic Mask, and it's way better at helping you do this kind of process and you, you find this sort of masking now in different tools it's in photoshop it's in after effects it's in different editing tools now that help you either mask out objects which identifies the actual this is a person this is a pet this is a car it kind of helps you draw that line and, and really rotoscope things out and i think that's really interesting to to really help so we've, we've done that in desires and delusions quite a lot and uh, we are using even more of it now in Lies in the Line, maybe to remove a reflection in a window or to do those kind of things. So it's bringing things that were previously maybe um, limited to bigger productions in the hands of lower, lower budget productions. That's actually where I see like AI help the most. I don't think it's going to affect much how bigger productions do things because they always had the big budgets. They could always do things that were unattainable for, for lower budget. If you look at Avatar 1, that's 10 years ago. And what they pulled off back then, even today, is, is hard to do, even with AI-assisted things. But it's starting to trickle down in the sense that now some of the things that were basically impossible to do on a small budget is starting to become achievable. And I think that's that's quite exciting. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a lot of benefits that come with using AI but there's also a lot of people who are I guess you could say fearful of the technology and how it because it's making so many things a lot easier it's making people a lot more worried about say their job security and everything and 
quite recently as you know we're recording this i think hollywood's still going through that writer strike where a lot of people are essentially protesting the use of ai to generate scripts to production and different ideas like what i guess what are your thoughts on that i think i think for now i i'm welcoming it because i'm welcoming the abilities that it gives us the the things that we can do with it that were previously unattainable maybe difficult to pull off I think we are in this honeymoon phase of AI at the moment. So, you know, it's, it's at the moment, all of this is, is great tools that can do great things. I think the, the, prob- the, the problems that will crop up will inevitably happen. And, you know, we're already starting to see the, the gist of that. But for now, I think it's going to be, you know, something that is just fun and lots of things like creating actor replacements. Uh, one, Runway Gen 1, if you've seen that, where, you know, text prompt to video i think that's called mid journey great for creating ai images which you've used great for concepting if you want to make a poster or something and you want to try out ideas you can you can use mid journey to actually create like concepts and then you know move that forward to uh, maybe like a like a concept artist to then base like their actual work on on something more tangible than just explaining it to them what you want i think that's it's quite good for that with ai you can fake content and some people can do that really well with deep fakes and whatnot. And so you get into that territory of content that's that's fake by nature and allows mass manipulation. Because on social media, information propagates so quickly. And we see, thing, I think, the rise of like conspiracies and just people thinking they, they learn something from social media, the truth about something, the real truth. And there's a lot of danger of misinformation that can be generated with AI and just really cause a lot of havoc in societies. I think that's the biggest danger, probably the immediate future is just uh, misleading people by very difficult to disprove content because it's it feels so real. If it's like an actor or a famous person saying something and it's completely made up. I think a recent example of that is um, Donald Trump being arrested and there were AI created images of him fighting police and it was widely shared on social media and, and taken as, you know, as this is this is real, but obviously it wasn't. It was all AI generated. And that moment people thought, oh look, look, that seems like a very dramatic situation and things like that. I think it's just not gonna be ideal for people to learn news that way. Yeah, so probably there should be like a way to protect your uh, kind of how you look. But I think the law is still a little bit behind in terms of like copywriting your face and how you look but i think just like coming back to the creators i went to one conference that's this week i think yeah it was connected to ai and i've met one uh, sculptor she's a sculpting and as well uh, she likes painting but it's more kind of you know a little bit dark in terms of like the themes a lot of like skeletons and <laughs> interesting like wednesday wednesday style but i really like that but she's using right now ai in order to to have like an assistant it will matter it's the prompts you're using for like generative ai there's probably a hope that we will kind of merge together rather than just keep fighting i think i think you're right like chat gpt is i think probably the most popular large language model at the moment and it, I've, I've used it a lot. It's actually really brilliant. It's just how I can come up with things. And I asked it to write songs or like Instagram sort of like fun posts about topics that would probably take me 10, 15 minutes to brainstorm and it does it instantly. 
And um, you also mentioned text prompts. And I think maybe that's the what will distill down in the future is that artists are just really good prompt generators. <laughs> and that the actual process of painting something physically with our hands is just not really necessary anymore. And all it is, is just people become famous, famous artists because they're just really good at top text prompts. They describe something in such detail in, in, in a way that AI models can then use to create the art as they imagined it, which actually is quite difficult if you've used Midjourney before. <laughs> uh, but like, does that take away from the skill of creating something in the first place? That's probably the danger, where it's like, is everybody an artist now? Because they can just come up with a few sentences and AI creates something that, you know, people can look at, something they can they can view. I mean, video is still, when you look at Runway Gen 1, it's, it's, it's cool, the videos they can make, but it's very janky. I think stable diffusion, what that's what that process is called, is it's still it looks like the every image is slightly different, every frame. So when you have a video of it, it's very like jittery. But that's only a matter of time until that will become more consistent. And then, you know, you are gonna you're gonna start seeing music videos and, and short films that are heavily entirely made up made up by AI for some you know, certainly in the beginning. Where it'll branch off into, I'm not entirely sure about yeah, I think on LinkedIn some time ago, we saw that they use three different type of AI in order to like generate the scripts, generate the like voiceover and generate the actually the the videos and have like a short kind of film with two main actors. It was a bit off, especially like with the movement of like the mouth and the eyes and everything. But it's kind of interesting and a bit scary at the same time, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think I've seen a beer commercial made entirely by AI, and like people have like free hands and stuff like that holding a beer, or you have way too many fingers holding it. But it was a beer commercial entirely made of AI, and it might it looked weird though. But like it shows obviously the direction it's going because I'm scared for the moment. It generally does a really good job at it. Just imagine you ask it to make a beer commercial for like a popular beer brand, and it has all of those sort of high value production shots that would usually cost tens of thousands to pull off having a, you know, let's say a garden party with loads of extras filming them, having a good time. And imagine it just does it and it looks brilliant. I think that that's the moment where productions will look at it and be like, hmm, do we really want to spend all that money to, to do this if, if, just, if it's just done like that so easily using, using something like that? Or does that, does that take the uniqueness away from, from what a production like that can do? Or do you have less control over it? You know, do you, do you, at what point do we start crediting AI for, for its work? <laughs> I feel like it's going to be probably something that's going to be a known in the future where we kind of need to acknowledge the role of what AI is doing for the film. But also the fact that AI is doing a lot of the work, maybe that's just going to give rise to a different kind of creativity where people become more, you know, as opposed to being skilled at the, I guess, uh, the whole mechanics of things like the cinematography setting up the scene and everything is more about how they can convey their thoughts to, I guess, this system that can generate lots of these images. Maybe we'll see a couple more interesting works come from that line of thinking. Yeah, totally. I'm I'm all for it. I'm just really excited that the tools that are being created for uh, people that produce videos that help. One of the latest updates in DaVinci allows for AI transcription. This was already possible with like outside external programs, but now it's all integrated. So if I, for instance, do a talking head video or an interview, it will automatically create subtitles. It can do it in all the languages. 
and you can actually edit the video from the transcription as well. So you select a text in like a text box and then you drop that into the timeline and it will take the appropriate part of the video. So if you have an hour long video of someone talking, you actually just read a transcription. You select the parts you think are interesting. You drop that in a timeline. Previously, you had to listen or watch the whole video or find the parts like that, very time consuming. So a lot of things are quite, quite helpful. So I'm, I'm more excited at the moment than scared for sure or worried. Certainly as a, like starting in the, in the film industry. And it's interesting because it's, it's giving us opportunities that were previously unattainable and start to give us just like, like cameras in a way. So like if you looked at cameras 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was a very big difference between what would be a cinema camera on a film set, a large cinema camera, and a, a camera that prosumer would be able to buy. So, you know, it was difficult for, let's say, someone on a low budget to create something like a like a short film that would even remotely compete or look even remotely the same as like a big cinema production costing you know hundreds of millions and i think that 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 gap again because of technology is starting to trickle through so now you can buy prosumer cameras that actually have really high image quality and can create very compelling images that are really for the for the untrained eye it doesn't look much different to what big cinema cameras can do what, what it boils down to at that point is just set design and having hundreds of extras big sets big actors and the crew to make every aspect of the production as high quality and seamless as possible when it comes to just the camera technology there's a lot you can you can achieve now with prosumer cameras that gets very close to these large cinema cameras you see on set i think that's just another another aspect of like how technology is making filmmaking today um, more achievable than it was 10 15 years ago do you have any hopes and predictions for the future of tech in the filmmaking in the film industry well i'm just looking forward to like newer better cameras i always i always like looking forward to newer better cameras and that kind of technology for instance camera gimbals this which is now dominated pretty much by, I mean, DJI is one of the leaders, I think, in gimbal technology, which makes sense because since the Phantom, DJI Phantom 2, to come back to that, it had a little gimbal that would hold the GoPro and its role was to move the drone independently from the camera so that the camera would stay pretty still because up until that point, people would literally stick a camera onto the drone, which is not ideal considering it's moving around. So they've been doing that for a long time and they're doing it now. And it allows for sort of these like steady cam shots that are, you know, give it like floating cameras, which I think is really cool. And, you know, when you look at NAB, you know, this is like a show for um, film tech. There's a lot of cool ideas constantly being showcased in terms of hardware. I think we talked about the aspects of, of software. I'm always interested in seeing what is the next version of editing software going to going to give to creators. And a lot of it is now AI assisted things, AI this, AI that. Uh, whether it's Magic Mask or Relight, again, in DaVinci Resolve, rotoscoping assistance, or just helping with um, creating scripts. Let's say you want to create like acting showreels. You don't want to spend so much time making like a, it does require a script as well. So maybe you can use AI to create something and like guide it along. It might become a little bit chaotic and weird. Um, but maybe that's also the fun of it right now. So if you watch and it's entirely scripted by an AI, maybe that makes it more interesting for people to watch because I think it's it's more funny. Totally. I think I see a lot more tools starting to adopt it. Like recently, was it Adobe released the... Is it, is it Adobe Firefly? 
Yeah, so they did release that too, but I was thinking about Photoshop and how they're doing the generative fill. That's it. Yeah, generative fill. Yes, Alicia has seen an example of the new Photoshop where, for instance, you have a picture and you can select a part of it. Let's say the top part. Let's say it's a wide image and you can then say fill in the top and it'll base it on what's in the image. It does a really good job at it as well. So now you can turn a, a landscape picture into a portrait style picture and you can go for different iterations for the for the fill-in. And it does a really good job at it, creating an image from, from the image. I've been using sort of AI-assisted things for object removal or like removing things in the background, that kind of stuff. But it's still quite a manual process, some of it. So you don't trust necessarily 100% what AI is doing. It might be better for the human eye still to like paint things in where you like um, copy and paste part of an image and then move it over because you want exactly that part. Because I think like with that tool in Photoshop, you don't have really much of control over it. So when it creates a sky for you, you can go through the iterations, but I'm not sure you can actually say like, I don't want that particular cloud. Well, I want, you know, so you have to just click through iterations until you find something that it created that you agree with rather than saying, making it yourself. But it's way faster. Julian, do you have any last words you want to leave to our listeners? Absolutely. Well, Desires and Delusions are still going around festivals. So uh, it will be available to watch, I believe, maybe next month again. And Lies on the Line will finish that soon and then it'll do the same thing. I'll go around festivals. We also have a instagram page for that and then um ethereal um the code at uk and thanks for having me nice talk to you guys it was really nice talking to you too right thank you bye bye